Hey, parents, Greenlight is here to take one big thing off your to-do list, teaching your kids about money. With a Greenlight debit card and money app of their own, kids and teens learn to earn, save, and invest. You can send money instantly, set flexible controls, and get real-time notifications of your kids' money activity. Set up chores and put allowance on autopilot to reward them for their hard work. Then learn about the world of money together. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast. Tonight on The Readout. I'm not a candidate, so we'll see if, uh, if and when that changes. Well, you're a candidate now, Ron, thanks to what is sure to be remembered as the most awkward campaign launch in American history. Plus, that's not fair. Trump's lawyers channel their inner eight-year-old in a whining complaint to the U.S. Attorney General with due apologies to eight-year-olds. And later, one year after 19 students and two teachers were gunned down in Uvalde, Texas, an activist group floats a radical proposal for reining in America's deadly gun culture. And we begin tonight with a question. Would you ever hire someone who participated in a deadly insurrection to overtake the U.S. Capitol where fellow rioters threatened to kill the House Speaker and hang the vice president? Would you hire a woman who was once arrested and charged with stealing the campaign signs of a political rival who she had run against for public office? Personally, I wouldn't. And I imagine most of you wouldn't either. But Florida Governor Ron DeSantis did. This is Sandra Atkinson. Her investigation by USA Today, she was at the Capitol riot, inside, in fact. Her friend, Sherry Edwards Cox, also marched for Trump in Washington, but said she went back to her hotel rather than into the Capitol. She told USA Today that Atkinson claimed to have been inside then-Speaker Pelosi's office. She even bragged about being there. Something that this guy, remember him, just caught a four-year prison sentence for. Nothing like insurrectionists to boost a flat resume. Because two months After January 6th, DeSantis appointed Atkinson to the Florida Board of Massage Therapy, meaning she had the power to regulate providers the way a medical board regulates doctors. Members can grant or revoke state licenses to massage therapists, often because of their criminal histories, which makes Atkinson's appointment all the more confusing. She eventually left the board, but not for participating in a violent anti-democratic siege that left five people dead. Surely Trump and DeSantis's Florida has no problem with that. Instead, controversy brewed over what she said at a 2022 board meeting when she berated a massage provider who was applying for a license for not speaking English. This is what Atkinson said as the provider, Sujan Han, struggled to communicate with the board. She can't understand or speak English. She shouldn't be practicing massage. It's ridiculous. There's no requirement. With, yeah. Be a massage therapist. The law, law needs to be changed. This is dangerous to the public. And so I ask you again, would you hire this person? What about a cop with a mad, sketchy record? Would you hire one or several? That's another thing DeSantis did. And is still doing. A couple of years ago, DeSantis unveiled a plan to recruit police officers from other states who didn't want to submit to COVID vaccination requirements to come on down and work in Florida, luring them with cash, new jobs, and the claim that that Blue Lives Matters mattered in the free state. 
according to reporting by the online media outlet Daily Dot, who obtained the full list of officers. Some of the new recruits have histories of excessive force in their old jobs and outright violence during their new Florida gigs. The Guardian picked up the story, too, saying the officers include a former trainee deputy charged with murdering her husband and an officer fired for domestic battery and kidnapping. Would you hire these people for your small business to be a caretaker for your loved one or to work with you in an office? Again, Ron DeSantis did. And now he's running for president. Just about an hour ago, the prickly Florida governor with a penchant for scooping up pudding into his mouth with his fingers kicked off his 2024 presidential campaign in a two-man convention with Twitter troll-in-chief Elon Musk. The two oddballs shared the virtual stage on Twitter's audio platform, Twitter Spaces, which most of you have probably never heard of. Nothing like a presidential announcement featuring the two most socially awkward men in American public life on a part of Twitter barely anyone knows about or uses. As it turns out, things didn't go according to plan. Instead, the start of the Ron DeSantis presidential campaign melted down in Twitter problems. Twitter spaces crashed during the much-anticipated event, disrupted when Twitter service apparently could not handle the surge in traffic of, of about 700,000 people. Karma really is a thing, isn't it? After several minutes of awkward silence, throat clearing, palpable confusion in hosts, including DeSantis disappearing, we got the glitchy audio-only announcement from DeSantis to about one-third of the original audience that he is indeed running for president. Joining me now is Florida Democratic Party Chair Nikki Freed, David Jolly, an MSNBC political analyst and former Republican congressman, and Jamal Simmons, Democratic strategist and a former communications director for Vice President Kamala Harris. I, I am, I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> So I'm going to I'm just going to go ahead and start with you, Jamal, um, because you you have, you know, both of you and David Jolly are familiar with this sort of political world, as you as are you, Nikki, for you guys have all run for office. Jamal, have you ever seen a more weird and more awkward start than the one uh, that Ron DeSantis old putting fingers had today? <laughs> Not in a political start. It's a little bit like the political campaign equivalent of that very first uh, babyface versus uh, <laughs> babyface versus Teddy Riley uh, versus in the beginning yes. of the pandemic. Remember, and, it did, and, the, and all the glitches it didn't work. Um, listen, how you start is a is a horrible way to uh, get going because everybody's going to use this as the baseline for your campaign, and everything else is going to be campaign going to be compared to this going forward. Uh, Along with the fact that Donald Trump has spent $13 million taking Ron DeSantis apart for the last few months. And now when we talk about him being kind of uninspiring, it's almost a trope because everybody believes it to be so. And we, they believe it to be so because the Trump people have been telling us that for a long time. <laughs> I have to say, you know, look, I have, I have to go to you first, Nikki, because you're smiling so big that I feel like you just want to troll. The whole, part of the whole premise of what Ron DeSantis is trying to do and, and probably why he was like, oh, I learned it on Twitter spaces is to prove that, like, he's young and Biden is, like, old. But Biden literally trolled the heck out of him right into the middle of their glitch. Like, Biden, dark Brandon, got gave him the business <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> this is humiliating. <laughs> This is beyond humiliating. And it was so predictable. You know, first of all, we, we, we've been saying that he's failed to launch. So it reminds me, actually, of the movie Failure to Launch. Uh, and, and this is so indicative of, of who he is. 
you know, we know that he doesn't have the personality to be president of the United States. And so this just shows once again that he's so out of touch with, with people. And, and look, he spent the last five years here in the state of Florida trying to get to this MAGA extreme base while taking away freedoms here in the state of Florida. And, and so there's just so much to unpack from today and the last five years uh, under Ron DeSantis. Um, but th this failure to launch and Elon being part of it, it just is a perfect bow onto this presidential campaign. Absolutely. And we're going to I'm going to the, the next round of questions, I promise you, because, right, I think that one of the biggest flaws in the way the media has handled Ron DeSantis is that they've only been concerned with is he attacking Trump? Is he attacking Trump? Is he how is he attacking Trump? And not about the harm that he is causing to people in Florida and the cruelty and the meanness of this guy. But I got to do one more, David Jolly. I got to give you a shot because this dude is weird. I mean, Elon Musk is weird also, also weird. And they're also like doing a whole like I may not be racist, but I do a really good impression of somebody who is really deeply racist. Here is just a, a short uh, note here. Uh, DeSantis, let me just show this of, of him being gross. He would sit in meetings and he would eat in front of people, a former DeSantis staffer told the Daily Beast, always like a starving animal who's never eaten before, getting S everywhere. During a private plane trip from Tallahassee to Washington, D.C. in March of 2019, DeSantis enjoyed a chocolate pudding dessert by eating it with three of his fingers, according to two sources familiar with the incident. That has like spawned an actual ad that a Trump pack has run, which is gross. I think we're going to show VO of it. It's disgusting. But now let me play just a little sound crush of, uh, of, of DeSantis, how odd he is. Take a look. Ron DeSantis loves sticking his fingers where they don't belong. And we're not just talking about pudding. DeSantis has his dirty fingers all over senior entitlements, like cutting Medicare, slashing Social Security, even raising our retirement age. Tell Ron DeSantis to keep his pudding fingers off our money. Oh, and somebody get this man a spoon. I mean, David, look, part of running for office is shaking hands. Not only does this dude eat pudding with his hands, he literally wiped his nose and wiped snot on somebody's shirt. We have VO of it. He's the, it's like, don't shake his hand because you're either going to get pudding and spit on it or you're going to get snot on it. Don't touch his hands. And that weird laugh. What is going on with this man? <laughs> Joy, this is the biggest day in the political life of Ron and Casey DeSantis, and it has become absolutely humiliating, rawly embarrassing, emasculating, mortifying, choose your word. This has been a disaster for Ron and Casey DeSantis, but it is also very telling, and I think it speaks to the, the narrative that the Donald Trump camp is trying to lay on Ron DeSantis, but honestly, tonight now, Tim Scott and Nikki Haley have a free shot as well, because even the decision to do this on Twitter spaces leans into the weirdness of Ron DeSantis, and it also suggests his greatest vulnerability is this idea that he's governor safe space, that he can only <laughs> be approached and he can only get in front of people if it's been orchestrated and he's in a bubble, so he does it on Twitter. Twitter spaces. And then we get to the real dangerous part, the ideology. He associates tonight with someone who is a has a platform for regressive ideology, Elon Musk. And it brings to the forefront these themes that are the Christian white nationalist themes that bring up his culture war and his marginalizing of already marginalized communities in the state of yeah. Florida. A disaster for Ron DeSantis today. 
and I'm going to come back to Tim Scott in just a second, but Nikki, this is the thing, is that he goes on with a guy who has brought Nazis back to Twitter, who has made Twitter a, a horror show for women, for LGBTQ people, and he himself has made Florida such a hellhole for gay people, for trans people, for black people, for immigrants, that literally the NAACP, LULAC, and Equality Florida have all issued travel warnings saying it is not necessarily safe to be black, to be gay, to be trans, or to be a migrant, to be brown, and to be a woman in Florida. Six-week abortion ban. He literally is torturing people in his own state and then saying that is what makes him qualified to be president. Yeah, it's such a ridiculous narrative for Ron DeSantis, you know, to be able to go out to, to the country and say the free state of Florida. And, and you and I have talked about this numerous occasions, you know, that he can't expect that after the most atrocious legislative session where he's gone even further extreme than Ron DeSantis, we've got permitless carry in our state now, one of the most egregious immigration bills in the country, six-week abortion ban, going after diversity at our higher education system, going after our LGBTQ plus youth. You can't expect to have that type of MAGA extreme agenda taking away freedoms of people all over our state and then think that the country is just going to be okay with you. And I think today on Twitter is such indicative of who he is and who he tries to relate to. He's never been on Twitter himself. He's probably never done a Twitter space. And the fact that he and Elon were doing this tonight shows that they are so disconnected to people all across the country. Most of our rural communities don't even have broadband. How are they even getting onto Twitter or to be able to listen to this space? There is such a disconnect between Ron DeSantis's agenda and what is actually on the minds of people across our country. This failure to launch today um, is just the, the start of the end of this presidential campaign. Uh, can't you know, wait till. Can't Joy. wait till he does his appearances on Tucker Carlson's show that also will be on Twitter Spaces. Oh, yeah, that's right. No one can watch it because it doesn't work because <laughs> he fired all the tech people who run the company. I'm sorry, Jamal. Go. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm sorry. It's your show. Listen. <laughs> I'm You're my you. guest, though. Please, please speak. <laughs> okay. um, no, look, I, to be serious for a second, it does seem like that they must have made a, 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 a strategic decision early on in the campaign or whatever this thing was he's been doing for the last year. <laughs> um, they must have made a decision that the only space for them was to compete on all the Trumpy stuff, right? To do yeah. as much Trumpy stuff as possible because they don't think that you know regular Republicans are going to show up in a, in a Republican primary. They're only going to get the MAGA Republicans. So they got to be credible with the MAGA Republicans and then hope that everybody has, has amnesia. If by some miracle he's able to take out Donald Trump, hope everybody has amnesia and he can run to the middle during a general election. But those days are over. You don't get to run like that anymore. Campaigns are national. People are paying attention. And you got to be the person who you are from the beginning. And in fact, maybe the only lane that existed for him was a rational lane. It's just not that many rational Republicans left in their party. And, and by the way, people will never forget that you said black history has no value, that you banned books, that you turned women into, into womb slaves of the state of free state of Florida, and that you put migrants through hell and drove them out of your state so your construction projects are going dry. No one's going to forget that, Ron, nor are they going to forget that you eat pudding with your fingers and it's disgusting and you literally wipe snot on a man. Last thing here, the, 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 the issue of the other people running because I'm not sure who else is there. Can we just real quickly play Tim Scott's opener? Real quick, please. Just, just his, his launch. Hello, Mr. Charleston! Jamal, <laughs> what is happening here? 
Yeah, you know, uh, Tim's a little awkward himself, right? <laughs> uh, we're all just going to have to accept that. He's a little awkward himself. You know, but also, you know, if you grew up or if you ever spent any time in an evangelical church, this is somewhat familiar, right? It's, he's like a praise team leader. You know, he's coming out to get the crowd hyped up before the pastor comes out and gives you the sermon. And so it's a little bit familiar for the faithful, but the way Tim Scott pulled it off, uh, I think he's got some more work to do. I guess my only question to you, David Jolly, I will give you the final question. Does Trump beat this clown show by 20 points or 30? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, look, this is a theory of Ron DeSantis's case and everybody else's. It's based on the premise that Trump will wound himself. The problem is <laughs> we haven't seen what that looks like. It's not sexual assault. It's not impeachment. Right. It's not January 6th. And I think the reason you're seeing Tim Scott and others get in is they know that Ron DeSantis has hit his ceiling and they can get in front of Ron DeSantis and have a shot at a one on one with Donald Trump. Is there somebody in that group? Can we put the, the list back up again? Oh, my God. Larry Elder's on the group, too. The, the, that guy who keeps on tweeting at me, demanding again on the show. Uh, you know, is there somebody in that list that you think is a credible candidate who also wouldn't be terrifying as president, David? Because I think that's important. The idea of another uh, round of Donald Trump is terrifying because it, it would ruin our democracy. Nobody wants that. Is there someone on that list who actually could get the nomination and at least if if they somehow became president, wouldn't destroy us as a country. Look, on questions of pure ideology, I think the Democrats have a reason to oppose every single one of them, particularly in contrast to Joe Biden. I think most of them are unqualified for their failure to speak out against Donald Trump. It's a moral Fair. failing and a failing of their constitutional duty for those in the Senate and the House and other offices. So who is the one person that has spoken out thus far in the race is Asa Hutchinson, but he is out of touch with Republicans and his ideology remains extremely conservative. I think this is a very strong reelection cycle for Joe Biden in November of 24. I think that our analysis is the same. Uh, thank you very much, Nikki Freed, uh, David Jolly, Jamal Simmons, all people who eat pudding with a spoon. And we appreciate them for it. <laughs> up next on the readout, you're supposed to eat it with a spoon, y'all. Next up, South Carolina becomes the latest state to assert total control over women's bodies with a six-week abortion ban. We will talk with one of the lawmakers who fought to keep it, keep an even more restrictive ban off the books when the readout continues after this short break. When it comes to teaching kids and teens about money, practice makes perfect. That's where Greenlight comes in. With a debit card and money app of their own, kids learn to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest. Parents send instant money transfers, create custom chores, and automate allowance, while kids track their spending, set savings goals, and practice money skills they can use today and for life. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com podcast. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. 
If you are a Christian conservative in America, Christian in scare quotes, things are going pretty great for you. You get taxpayer money to fund your kids' religious instruction. The Supreme Court ripped up years of precedent to side with your particular religious point of view. Drag queens and trans people are scared to death, as are the immigrants that woke Jesus had such a soft spot for. And gun laws are looser, not stricter, so your weird killer version of Jesus can fire away. Now, if you happen to be part of the majority that opposes these things, you're out of luck. Look to South Carolina for the latest example. Roughly 24 hours ago, the state's legislature, for the second time, passed legislation that prohibits abortions at about six weeks, when most women do not even know they are pregnant. And the fetal heart, as we know it, does not yet exist. Governor Henry McMaster has vowed to sign it into law. South Carolina had become an abortion refuge in the Southeast, as other Southern states rushed to strip the rights of women. This new ban allows abortion only to prevent the death of the pregnant woman or when there is a serious risk of a substantial and irreversible impairment of a major bodily function or in cases of rape, incest or fatal anomalies in the fetus. But of course, the requirements issued to meet those standards are onerous and invasive. For example, if you're impregnated from rape or incest and seeking an abortion, you have to report it to the sheriff in the county where the crime took place within 24 hours of when the abortion is performed. Your doctor must also inform you that they will report the rape, too, which could be a huge deterrent if your attacker also lives in that town or in your house. Doctors also have to rationalize why a woman needs an abortion if her health or the baby's health is in question to avoid breaking the law. I guess medical evidence is not sufficient. The doctors then have to keep a copy of your records for seven years after performing the abortion. You know, just in case someone might want to accuse you of getting an abortion illegally later, I guess. Passage of this bill ended a filibuster by the state Senate's five women senators, including three Republicans, a Democrat and an independent, who were the bill's most outspoken opponents. That didn't matter to Commander, I'm sorry, Republican Tom Davis who told the Washington Post, quote, at some point in time, the right of the state to see the unborn child born does take precedent over the woman's right to her body. He didn't add it, so I will, under his eye. Join me now is one of those five sister senators, independent South Carolina State Senator Mia McLeod. Senator McLeod, thank you for being here. I just wonder how it felt to you as one of the few women in that state Senate to watch the men of that body take control of the women in your state and their bodies. Well, Joy, thanks for having me. Um, You know, and I've said many times that the men in the South Carolina Senate, they speak with authority because they can't speak from experience. And so, you know, it wasn't a surprise to us that um, we were not successful this time, although it was very disheartening. Uh, We did have the help of Senator Davis and uh, two other Republican men to defeat the total ban, but they they left us this time and they left the women and girls of South Carolina. And, um, you know, we are going to continue. This fight continues. And I should note that, as you said, you all were doing a filibuster. You had the support of at least one uh, man, um, and they abandoned you uh, on this revote for this new bill. Now, the original abortion ban did not survive a test in the state Supreme Court. Uh, My understanding is the only thing that's changed 
is not so much this bill, but it's the makeup of the court. South Carolina is now one of the few states in the country, maybe the only state, with an all-male Supreme Court after uh, the lone woman on it retired. So basically, it is men deciding that women can't get abortions, and it is all men who will decide if the law is legal, right? Absolutely. And both have changed. Both have changed. The the bill changed significantly uh, from its original version when we talk about the six-week abortion ban. Um, But the Republican majority has stacked the Supreme Court now with an all-male Supreme Court. We are the only state in the country that has an all-male Supreme Court, and it is for this reason. It is It was for this purpose. Um, and so, you know, we've got major fights ahead of us. Um, we were successful in defeating the total ban with the help of those uh, three Republican uh, colleagues. But yesterday, you know, we were not successful in defeating the six-week ban. And I'm sure a challenge, a legal challenge has already um, been mounted and we continue to fight. The Supreme Court will have to rule on whether this uh, this six week ban passes uh, is constitutional or passes constitutional muster. Uh, It didn't before. I can't imagine that it would if it's based on the Constitution. It won't pass muster again. But now that we have an all-male Supreme Court, there is no female voice. Uh, There is no female perspective on the court. And that is by design. It was intentional for a time such as this. Uh, The Southeast is now essentially the handmaid's tale uh, for women in this country. There is no state in the South um, where a woman has control of her body, you know, all, all the way west to Texas, all the way across, including your state now. What in the world are women going to do? And girls, we know that South Carolina has a very high um, maternal mortality rate, particularly for black women. So my guess is a lot of Southern women and a lot of black women are going to die. They are. And uh, a lot of women are going to die. A lot of girls are going to die. And, you know, the blood is going to be on the hands of uh, the Republican Party and their insatiable need to control us uh, with with ridiculous bans that are harmful, that are dangerous, that are hurtful. Um, It's not going to stop, though. If if you know anything about South Carolina, you know that. Um, and we are not alone in this, but the same proponents of these abortion bans are the are the ones who said that COVID-19 was a hoax and they opposed mass mandates and they opposed uh, temporary shutdowns and and even vaccination. Um, yeah. I've been open about the fact that I live with sickle cell anemia and, you know, my colleagues during the height of the pandemic, when we were being called back for ridiculous bills like this, sure. refuse to even wear a mask yeah. to protect uh, their colleagues in the chamber. So these are the yeah. same people that push people back to work during yeah. the height of the pandemic, slave wages. Um, yeah. And, you know, they yeah. are the same uh, yeah. folks who refuse to even let us debate a hate crimes bill. So they're yeah. not about life. They're they not are, pro-life. Um, indeed. And I, I think... Well, 
I think what they want is not just the 1950s, but perhaps the 1850s. I will summarize it there. This is the state whose governor said they want to hunt uh, Democrats with dogs. And most Democrats in South Carolina are African-American. South Carolina That's state senator. Yes, indeed. South Carolina <laughs> state senator Mia McLeod. Thank you so much for being here and stay safe. And thanks for having God bless. Still ahead. Trump's attorney would like to have a chat with the U.S. attorney general about how unfair it is that their client is not above the law. I'll be right back. When it comes to teaching kids and teens about money, practice makes perfect. That's where Greenlight comes in. With a debit card and money app of their own, kids learn to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest. Parents send instant money transfers, create custom chores, and automate allowance while kids track their spending, set savings goals, and practice money skills they can use today and for life. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Facing intensifying legal peril, Donald Trump is whining, as he always does, but this time he's demanding to speak to the manager. Trump's attorneys sent a letter to Attorney General Merrick Garland requesting a meeting to discuss special counsel Jack Smith's investigation. They claimed Trump is being treated unfairly, adding, quote, no president of the United States has ever in the history of our country been baselessly investigated in such an outrageous and unlawful fashion. Bill Clinton would like a word. Trump posted the letter to his fake Twitter. Just hours after The Wall Street Journal reported Smith is wrapping up the criminal probe into Trump's handling of classified documents, noting some of Trump's close associates are bracing for his indictment and anticipate being able to fundraise off a prosecution. With me now, Harry Littman, former deputy assistant attorney general and host of the Talking Feds podcast. And Harry, let's just get right to the point. How unusual is it for somebody who hasn't been indicted yet, or even if they have, to ask to speak to the Attorney General of the United States. You know, in a case of this magnitude, Joy, it's not all that unusual. It's premature because the special counsel here has the powers of a U.S. attorney. Normally, you would go to the U.S. attorney first, but it happens in big cases that they say, I want to speak to the attorney general, and sometimes they get um, the meeting. So I think for sure it's a PR move and a really boneheaded way to try to get the meeting. It's just basically a broadside against the administration. But he's going to get an audience with somebody, Smith or Garland, eventually. And the request, even the high handedness of it, I've seen it before. I'll put it that way with very prominent defendants. Is it likely, though, that, that Garland would do it? Because he appointed Jack Smith for a reason to keep some distance from it. And he already said up front that he's not going to get involved. It's unlikely. But I again, I have seen it happen if they want to show they're giving them all the process in the world. But of course, it's clearly a charade. The way yeah. the letter is written, nobody is expecting, you know, it's obviously not not a real appeal to, to think things through. So Garland could do either could take it either way. But I think at first he'll say you have to speak with Smith. But again, yeah. it's not it's not that the request is outlandish. It's that the request is so nasty 
polemical and such a sort of PR move. So it's certainly not designed to succeed. Right. And I mean, Trump has a long history, obviously, of saying every judge is unfair. All the judges are unfair. They're unfair. They're unfair. They're unfair. But, you know, there's two ways that I think you can read this. One, that this letter is a panic, uh, you know, attack because they think that he is going to get indicted. The other is that it is literally just sending a letter to raise money. Is there do you read it one way or the other that this seems like indictment seems more likely or that they're just using this as another ploy to get money out of the MAGAs? Look, so I think it's both, and we've always known, it's so strange, this dual track of politics and law, uh, and he'll certainly fundraise. But no, I read it as they're saying, holy cow, we are, it's really coming, and soon they read the Wall Street Journal. Smith hasn't told them that. We have that reporting. But they certainly, I think, believe that the hammer is coming down on them, and soon. Not that they think they'll talk Garland out of it, but you take any shot you can. The weird thing yeah. Here is it doesn't seem like the defense lawyers wrote it. It seems like Trump dictated it. And, you know, yeah. that's not that's not a good way to get a meeting or to succeed in a meeting. You know, the interesting thing about it is Donald Trump has been treated not worse, but better than most Americans. I mean, he's literally individual one in the Michael Cohen indictment. Michael Cohen went to jail for something he did that he did for Trump. Trump is the one who had the affair and, 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 and paid off uh, people he had affairs with. So he's been actually treated better than most defendants would. How can he possibly argue he's been treated worse? How can he possibly argue? Well, I mean, you know, he's Trump. That, that, that's <laughs> looking in the dictionary under Donald Trump. But you're, yeah, he has skated through the raindrops for what is it, seven years? But man, uh, if you look at the whole sort of Venn diagram of what's going, where where he is now, he's like a one man, you know, legal crime wave. So it does <laughs> feel to me like accountability is coming. But you're certainly right. He's been the, you know, the luckiest guy in the world. I just think now the Teflon is pretty well scraped off and it's going to get worse. Here we go. Uh, thank you very much, Harry Littman. Much appreciated. Thank you so okay, much, come- Joy. Good to be with Cheers. you. Cheers. Same. Uh, coming up after the break, remembering one of uh, remembering one year since 19 students and two teachers were massacred in Uvalde, Texas. But first, sad news from the entertainment world. Tina Turner, legend, icon, survivor and the queen of rock and roll died today following a long illness. She was 83 years old. Her career in music spanned six decades. Her distinctive voice and unstoppable energy propelled her from Nutbush, Tennessee, to the heights of superstardom. With her ex-husband Ike, Tina Turner put out hits like River Deep, Mountain High, and Proud Mary. Their success concealed the horrific abuse Tina Turner endured during their 20-year relationship. She escaped the marriage, financially ruined but rose from the devastation to become a solo superstar in the 1980s with her album Private Dancer and the song that came to define her second act. Inducted twice into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the eight-time Grammy Award winner inspired the likes of Mick Jagger and Beyonce. The music world would not and will not be the same without Tina Turner. Simply the best and a gift to us all. Today is a solemn day for the city of Uvalde, Texas. It was one year ago today that 19 fourth graders and two teachers were murdered in their elementary school classroom by a gunman toting an AR-15. For families of the victims, a lot of questions remain unanswered. The district attorney's office and the Justice Department are both investigating the police response. 
317 officers responded to the scene, but waited more than an hour to storm the classroom where the gunman was holed up with the kids and their teachers. And a medical study is trying to determine if a faster confrontation with the gunman could have saved any lives. The families who lost loved ones that day are still deep in grief. You know, being able to hold your daughter, give her a kiss, say I love you, it feels like an eternity. I don't understand why. Like, I don't understand why our children were innocent. Our children were innocent, and and it's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair that she only got 10 years. It's not fair that I only got 10 years with her. None of it's fair. While the victims' families mourn, there have been no real efforts by Republican lawmakers in Texas to do anything impactful in the wake of the horrific shooting. Legislation pushed by Uvalde families to raise the age to buy semi-automatic rifles like the one the 18-year-old shooter used from 18 to 21 failed. And yet, the Uvalde community voted overwhelmingly to re-elect Republican Governor Greg Abbott just five months after the shooting. In fact, in the last year, states have passed more laws expanding gun access than curtailing it. And as our country continues to face an ever-growing epidemic of mass shootings, it seems that all Republicans are willing to do is offer thoughts and prayers. Earlier this year, Brett Cross, whose 10-year-old son, Uzziah, was killed that day, made sure to let Texas lawmakers know what he thought of their thoughts and prayers. I'm so sick of hearing those three words from our elected officials. While your prayers may have comforted you, they did nothing to absolve our pain. While you may think about May 24th, we live it every single day. While you pray that your children grow up to be healthy and happy, contributing members of society, we pray that our children knew we were doing everything we could to get to them in that school to protect them. Your thoughts and prayers didn't stop an 18-year-old from purchasing two high-powered semi-automatic rifles and all of those rounds of ammunition. Your thoughts and prayers didn't stop us from having to bury our children and two teachers. Your thoughts and prayers do not help the children that survived that were injured. Your thoughts and prayers haven't done anything in the 329 days since Uzziah was shot through his stomach, exiting his spine. Your thoughts and prayers are useless unless you have thought and prayed for legislation that you can help enact that could change this. It's time to act. It's time to make our voices heard. Not as Democrats or as Republicans, but as friends, as neighbors, as parents, as fellow Americans. I know for a long time it's been hard to make progress, but there will come a point where our voices are so loud, our determination so clear that we can no longer be stopped. We will act. That was President Biden today repeating his call to action. And while he was successful in passing real gun reform back in the 1990s, it feels futile in today's environment. Mass shooting after mass shooting after mass shooting. Nothing seems to change. So maybe it's time to rethink how we address the issue and try something radically new. My next guests are arguing to do just that. Joining me now is Syra Rao, 
president and co-founder of Here for the Kids, and Lake Bell, actor, screenwriter, director, and activist. Thank you both very much. And Syra, uh, I am just going to give you the floor and uh, let you explain to me your radical uh, idea for what we can actually do about this nonsense. Uh, It's actually not that radical, Joy. You know, what I would argue is radical is that we have grown accustomed to dropping our kids off at school and not knowing if they're going to come back alive, going to the grocery store and not knowing if we're going to get assassinated, going to the mall and getting murdered. That's radical. What we are proposing is banning guns and buying them back. That's sensible. Guns are the number one killer of kids in America. Sit with that. Sit with that. Guns are the number one killer of children in America. And folks are saying it's radical to ban guns. No, it's actually radical that we've decided to live with this. Uvalde? My goodness. What has happened since Uvalde? Mass shooting after mass shooting after mass shooting. Enough bulletproof backpacks? That's radical. What's sensible? Ban guns and buy them back. And that's what Here for the Kids is doing. So we know that Australia did that and, and you know, after one mass shooting. But in the United but they don't have a thing called the Second Amendment. And I'm just going to put it up on screen. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of a people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And we know that that was passed because of fear of rebellions, right? Fear of rebellions and that, the, you know, the, the regulated part, uh, well-regulated, implies the government can regulate arms. But the Constitution says people have a right to have them. How can you ban something that's in the Constitution as something people have a right to have? Well, let's talk about the Second Amendment. So the Second Amendment, in reality, actually, fear of rebellion by whom? By enslaved people. That's why we have the Second Amendment. And people in Massachusetts, because there were two rebellions by white folks as well. So rebellion, Sure, sure. But read uh, The Second by Carol Anderson. It's a beautiful book. Uh, We have the Second Amendment because of white supremacy and anti-blackness. Give slave owners the right to massacre their enslaved people. So we have it. White supremacy, anti-blackness. Proliferation of guns since 1791 when it was ratified. White people buy guns en masse when they get super scared by people who look like you and me. These are facts. Google it. Obama, Ferguson, George Floyd, 9-11, COVID-19. That's part two. Number three, guns are now the number one killer of kids in America, including white kids. One plus two plus three equals four. White supremacy is now the number one killer of all kids in America, including white kids. I'm ready to get rid of the Second Amendment. And I think it's wild that people would prefer to protect an amendment, a racist amendment from 1791 over their own children. And a lot of people are, unfortunately, even in Uvalde. Um, Let me bring you in, Lake Bell. I mean, one of the the most disturbing things that I've read about uh, the community in Uvalde is that you've seen people who are even related to some of the kids who were killed that said, yeah, but I love guns and I don't want them to be banned. Um, The United States has more guns than any country in the world per 100,000 residents than any country next closest to Chile, then Israel, Canada, you can go down the list. Uh, And we have more mass shootings than literally anyone. Yemen is at a very distant second. You signed on to this idea, Lake. Why and what do you think can pragmatically be done? Yeah, I like that you said pragmatic because I do feel like it is it is there's some logic involved here. There seems to be a disconnect for what can we do? What can we do? Well, clearly, you know, to name something like a gun ban feels so, uh, you know, it feels like a tall order, you know, but we're kind of we're in tall order territory because my kids are watching me and they're like, what are you doing? Like, what can we do? I'm, I'm scared, you know, and it's not just a select group of people. It's all people. I mean, my friends from other countries are like, people are telling me I shouldn't travel to your country right now because there's such an extraordinary gun violence problem. So there just seems to be like a disconnect that the idea, just as a parent, you know, I'm like, I'm here representing 
parents, you know, who have children. I mean, but you don't have to be, I don't, I just feel like it's a big swing. Sure. But it's like, that's where we are. That's, yeah. that's logic. So on June 5th, um, you all are going to be gathering in Denver. What's going to happen? What are you guys going to do? 25,000 well, white women. Sorry, you oh, sorry to, go yeah, ahead, Lee. Yeah, no, no, sorry, okay. you start. Sure, okay. sure. Um, June 5th, 5 a.m., 25,000 white women, state capital, Denver, Colorado, demanding Democratic Governor Jared Polis sign an executive order, buy guns and uh, ban guns and buy them back. Ban guns and buy them back. And why? Why you said specifically white women? Because white women traditionally have the most power in this country. That's why marketers are like women between white women between the ages of 25 and 55. Right. That's what advertisers go after. And white women have the most privilege in terms of the least likely to be harmed by police. Twenty five thousand numbers. Let's get a ton of them. They will get him to do it. They will get him to do it. We know that if history is any guy, they will get him to do it. And Lake, um, what do you want the governor to do um, after this protest? As the as the white woman in the room, (laughs) um, uh, I, I'll say that, you know, I concur. I stand by whatever, um, everything that Syra just said. I, I recognize we white women have, you know, we wield an extraordinary amount of privilege and immunity when it comes to sitting in on the front lines and doing that. And oftentimes we are the group of people who don't show up. I'm not saying all because we have an extraordinary group of thousands of women who are involved in this movement. But it is a demographic that traditionally doesn't have to show up, you know. And so I'm urging all of my friends, I have people flying in from all parts of the the country to be there because it's that important. It's like nothing else is more important, in my opinion. Well, we will be watching what happens in Denver uh, on June 5th. Uh, Syra Rao, Lake Bell, thank you both very much. Wishing you all the luck because we need it. That is tonight's readout. Hey, parents. Greenlight is here to take one big thing off your to-do list, teaching your kids about money. With a Greenlight debit card and money app of their own, kids and teens learn to earn, save, and invest. You can send money instantly, set flexible controls, and get real-time notifications of your kids' money activity. Set up chores and put allowance on autopilot to reward them for their hard work. Then learn about the world of money together. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com podcast.